This program is a paid commercial announcement and in no way represents the views of WPHT or its management. Hi, everybody. Uh, welcome to Recovery Radio. This is, I guess, the December edition. My name is Steve Bartorano. We're here on Saturdays. Every Saturday, we talk about the disease of addiction and, more specifically, the uh, many ways to recovery because the uh, the little secret that is often lost in the bad news about substance abuse is that lots of people, lots and lots of people, manage to get sober. So we always want to emphasize that. Recovery Radio is sponsored by Retreat, Premier Addiction Treatment Centers, about which more later. If you've heard the program at all in the past, you know that in addition to the experts in the field and journalists who've covered the story of substance abuse and uh, treatment uh, overall, we very often like to reach out to get, I guess, a, a voice in recovery. Um, you know, your garden variety person who has been there and done that. We, we find that there uh, can be a real value in people uh, sharing their first person account of their struggles with drugs or alcohol. And we return to that again today on Recovery Radio. But the little twist and a little showbiz, because you can never have too much showbiz, as far as I'm concerned. The, to that end, we welcome to the program um, a young friend of my son's, as a matter of fact. That's how I came to find out about uh, Owen Bonus. Owen is a, a po- listen to this, you'll love this resume. Owen's a podcaster, he's a, uh, he's a comedian, he's a, and a martial artist. And he's, uh, he performs his uh, comedy. We're going to find out a lot more about that all over the place, from colleges to, uh, old, ho- to old folks' homes, which I can't wait to find out about. He is um, a podcaster, and I'm particularly interested in talking to him about that straight ahead. But uh, uh, Owen joins us as a, a guy who has been uh, sober now for 11 years. So that's a, a really impressive um, number. Uh, uh, Owen Bonus, thanks for joining us on Recovery Radio. How are you doing? I'm good, Steve. Thanks for having me, man. I, I can tell you, uh, folks at home, that um, um, Owen started off the conversation before we got on the air with a very funny uh, thing. He is in Staten Island. And if you've been to Staten Island, you know how funny <laughs> it just is. It's just funny to be in. Anybody would admit that they're in Staten Island. Um, so, Owen, Yeah. <laughs> so, I was clear to say I didn't live here, though. <laughs> that's right. You, you were quick. Not only clear, but quick to say that. Uh, <laughs> Owen, tell us about yourself. Um, you know, who, who, who are you? Where'd you come from? I was born in uh, outside of Scranton, Pennsylvania. Moved uh, to New Jersey when I was a baby uh, with my mom and dad. Um, raised in West Jersey. Lived in New England for a while, but I'm I'm a Jersey guy. I've been live here now with my wife, so it's most of my life. Probably thirty years I've been living in New Jersey. So how how old are you? Thirty six. What? Uh, uh, oh no, I'm thirty seven now. Jesus. Well, there you go. <laughs> it happens to all of us. Um, yeah. So Jersey guy, uh, your how would you characterize your? Um, circumstances growing up middle class yeah yeah middle class um you know in terms of recovery if we're we're telling this part of the story my background is you know what a lot better than than most people started out with i you know i went to an all-boys catholic school i played sports Uh, i grew up with one brother my parents are still together um i had a lot of advantages and uh you know a pretty happy childhood um now as far as addiction is concerned if you look at all the branches of the family tree, there's a fair amount of, of alcoholism and, you know, some mental illness, <laughs> kind of peppering some of the leaves there, too. So, right. mm-hmm. with, with, with this uh, this uh, family history of uh, 
of substance abuse. Were you aware of it growing up, or, or did you just think some of the members of the family drank a little too much? Um, yeah, I remember. I remember when one of my family members had to go get better, and this was like uh, Nancy Reagan, Betty Ford kind of era, right? And uh, it, it was a, it was a big deal. And uh, you mean a big deal was, in the family? It was a big deal. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, it was a big deal in the family, and uh, I don't think I fully comprehended what it meant, but I do remember that, you know, this happened and it was, you know, something we all had to talk very seriously about, but I was, I was a little kid, man. I think, I don't even think I was 10 years old. So that's 20 years ago. This was kind of a family secret, I'll bet. Yeah. And then, you know, I remember a lot of jokes about like my grandma who's long since passed and, uh, you know, she would say like, I'd like a glass of wine. They say it's good for you. It's like, yeah, not the bottle. Like that kind of thing. Right, right, right. But so I ask this question, and I ask it to a lot of people when they talk about their family history. Um, I think it's instructive to find out. You didn't You didn't see yourself, even as you got a little older, as somebody susceptible to a disease like addiction, right? No, no, certainly not. Yeah. All right, so did you, I'm guessing that the um, Jersey kid growing up in the suburbs, uh, all, all boys Catholic school, that you begin experimenting the way everybody else does it starts with what marijuana or drinking Give marijuana us... then drinking yeah and uh, uh, go ahead yeah no i was 12 or 13 years old and i wasn't alone and it wasn't you know i didn't immediately experience consequences it was just you know little kid stuff so, so, social right yeah social yeah for sure yeah and um Tell us about about that. It's, it's so obviously a common story, but there's a departure point for folks who've been in substance abuse trouble, and that's when they realize they're doing it a little differently than everybody else is. Do you, do you remember the, those circumstances? Yeah, college for sure. Um, high school got a little wild. Um, maybe junior, senior year, you know, people started to get cars, and we would go down the shore, and just it was easier to get booze and stuff like that. But once I got to college, I went to school in Providence. Um, it was too much freedom for me. I know that now looking back, originally I thought it was just great. I thought it was like, Oh, this is amazing. But I just couldn't handle being on my own like that. And, you know, being able to walk to a bar and, and I immediately there were consequences immediately. I just started doing poorly in school from the moment that I got there. Did that take you by surprise? I mean, did you, before that, think of yourself as just a garden variety guy who likes to party on the weekends with his high school buddies, and then suddenly you got a lot more freedom and and you lose the handle on it? Did that surprise you about yourself? I don't think I ever had that, that level of introspection in the moment. I think I was just, the walls were coming in. You know, I felt like I was drowning in the snow, and I, all I was trying to do is just keep my head above water and not really consider what what the problems were. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, what what was the uh, pattern of, of your use? You heavy drinking when you first, when you, you already started drinking and smoking marijuana when you were in high school. Tell me about that. How, how that accelerates in college? Always, um, always with alcohol. The evening always started with alcohol, and then would move on to whatever else I could get my hands on. Once I had a couple beers in me, a couple of Miller Lights. I'm a Miller Light guy. Uh, it was whatever Columbia's finest, what, whatever I could find, whatever was available to me with a phone call or whoever was in my, my orbit, mm-hmm. I was open to. But the weird thing is I wasn't a daily drinker. I never was. 
I was just uh, a binge drinker. Once I got going, it, I wasn't going to stop for at least a day. Yeah. What, what, uh, what, does, was any of this immediately impacting classes and grades and all that stuff? Oh, yeah, right away. Right away. Right away. Yeah, as soon as I got there, I just I was missing classes and getting bad grades and, you know, having to make up stories about uncles dying and aunts dying. You know, none of that was true, but I was just trying to get out of, you know, maybe taking a midterm or something like that. How, how, your circle of friends, uh, w- were they hitting it as hard as you were, or, or did you just keep moving on to other people who could keep up with you? How did that work? Well, when I was in school, um, no, uh, the, the people that I was hanging out with were hitting it just as hard. I don't think, I don't think I was doing it anything too extreme. It's just I was doing it most nights, you know, yep. and some people. You know, maybe they'd go out like that on a Wednesday because they didn't have classes until Thursday afternoon or something like that. I never let my responsibilities interfere with what I wanted yeah, to so, do. Yeah, so other people who may have been doing it as hard seem to be able to compartmentalize it. <laughs> you, yeah. you were just doing it flat out all the time. Did, did that – you know, you, you look back on it now. I know you've been sober for 11 years. During during that period of time, did, did it ever occur to you that there was something going wrong here or did you just – just it seemed natural to you to accelerate your drug use like that. Um, I mean, I knew I was in trouble and I felt terrible and I was depressed. Now that did not make me want to change anything, but uh, yeah, like I, I knew something was wrong, but I didn't, I didn't want to take any steps to curb the way that I wanted to live. Cause I enjoyed being out and drinking. That, right. was, that was the period of time during the day that I was enjoying myself. Right, right. So you may be screwing up big time. You're, you're not stupid. You're aware of that. You may be doing yeah. uh, drugs and alcohol more than uh, you ought to be doing. You know you're depressed but don't know why. And you never at any point uh, connect all of those things to your to your substance abuse or your substance use, right? Nope. <laughs> you know, I'm laughing because the, people who don't understand <laughs> this disease don't understand how that happens. They just go, well, what are you talking about? How come they're not aware of what they're doing? Um, how, so take I had me- my family it, you know, confront me on this stuff on multiple occasions. They're like, you're drinking all the time. And I would say things like, yeah, but I like it. So it's not really like a problem. <laughs> well, yeah, that's the other thing that you're very, very honest about. And when we have folks who've been where you've been, they say that. And it's one of the things the general public misses about people who – abuse uh, drugs and alcohol they like getting high they, they like yeah they like that feeling until of course they don't like it how long did this pattern of substance abuse and drinking affect you in college throughout all four years and did it get progressively worse during the four years you managed to stay in you didn't get thrown out uh i had several warnings and i had to meet with you know all sorts of deans and I managed to limp through, and I I just kind of figured out if you can keep paying the tuition, they'll let you hang around. <laughs> right. And you were also high-functioning enough to be able to con them and keep your parents at bay uh, so you could continue um, this behavior, right? Yeah, and I think, yeah, high-functioning is kind of a charitable term. It's just, it's, you know, manipulation and, and lies. I mean, that's that's the truth right. of, of well, what I was doing to, to keep my head above water. Yeah. Um, our, our guest on the phone is uh, Owen Bonus. O- Onus is uh, well, Owen is a uh, 
fellow in recovery, 11 years now. Congratulations for that. All of this is substance abuse story. He joins us uh, to tell us about it. It leads to what he does in addition to a lot of other things, which is podcasting and stand-up comedy. And we're, we're going to get into all of that straight ahead. You're listening to Recovery Radio. Don't go away. Welcome back to Recovery Radio. Our guest on the telephone, Owen Bonus. Owen's an interesting guy, podcaster, comedian, martial artist, too, by the way, which I've never understood people who draw pictures of marshals, but we'll find out exactly what that's about. Straight ahead, Owen joins us because he's got a great story of successful sobriety, 11 years sober now, after a uh, fairly extensive uh, period of time when he abused drugs and alcohol. So you go through college and you make it through, and your family certainly is aware of your behavior. They're warning you that you're you're going too hard. I know it had accelerated beyond alcohol and sort of casual drug use. How bad did it get on? Uh, it was pretty. It was pretty bad. Um, I I missed a lot of things that people uh, bring up in the rooms when they tell their stories. I never got a DUI, never got arrested, uh, but I'd been fired a bunch of times. I didn't have, I didn't have a lot of friends. I didn't have a very good relationship with my family. So I, I paid a lot in terms of, mm-hmm. you know, personal consequences. Right. But no, but no trouble with the law or anything. No trouble with the law, but unemployable and, and toxic. And all of that, obviously attributable to your uh, substance abuse. Did you, uh, progress how far up the chain did you progress in your um, substance substances alcohol and, and cocaine were the were the main problems for me uh i would i would use uh, you know weed here and there if it was available and psychedelics which i i don't totally regret but mostly it's uh it's it was the alcohol and the cocaine and cocaine yeah um and when when did you hit the wall or bottom out or when did you just go this this isn't working anymore. And how did that happen? I had so many bottoms. I mean, and I, and I don't feel like I'm alone in this. I've heard a lot of people talk about this. It just keeps the bottom keeps opening up on you. It's it's one of the cliches. Is my bottom had a trap door. Right. And I'm 25, just short of my 26th birthday. And, um, you know, I can't hold a job. I had gotten fired and I had no money. Were you, and uh, were, were you, I ended up in the hospital. Were you, I'm sorry. Were you in a relationship at any point during this? What, what were the? Were, 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 no. Were, no, 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 no. Couldn't no. handle that, no. right? No, no, oh, couldn't okay. handle it. Wasn't. I, I, I wouldn't see myself as you know very eligible or desirable at that point as a partner. I got it. How did you wind up um, in the hospital? I'm sorry. Go ahead. Just drunk, just drunk, ended up covered in blood, and my buddy had to take me to go get stitches, and um, that was that. You know, like, I just, I felt terrible, and I was lucky enough to wake up that morning and be like, all right, I'm done. Like, I, I've i had that before, and it doesn't stick. Like, you have to react to that moment that you get it, and um, my parents knew who to call, and I was in a in an outpatient program, you know, three, four days later. When you say you you have to you have to act on the moment when you finally do get it, you you said, if I heard you correctly, that you had felt like that before. You know, came out of a a binge period and just said, "I can't do this anymore," but it didn't stick. Is there any way you can put your finger on what when it when it did stick? What was different about that? I mean, was it the blood and the trip to the hospital? What was it? No, I had done all that before. Um, 
if you're in the rooms of AA, that'll people will tell you that's a spiritual experience. That'll tell you it's like you know uh, Bill W. wrote in in the big book that he you know, he had a white light moment. Um, you can attribute it to that if you're looking for something. Just maybe I was lucky. Maybe I really just did have enough. There's you know there's a lot of different ways I've considered it. But what's important is that I did have that moment and I didn't let it pass. And, mm-hmm. I made the right phone calls and started moving in the right direction to get better. Yeah. Uh, uh, Owen Bonus is our guest. He's 11 years sober now. Uh, I asked the question, uh, Owen, because, because I, first of all, I've heard that answer before, and it makes perfect sense. It's almost beside the point to discuss how it finally takes for someone, and they get it and, and try to get sober. Uh, but people on the outside looking in at this disease go, how can I help my loved one or my son or my daughter get to that point? And you really can't help anybody get to that point, can you? Nah, no. It uh, there there's groups for that, and there's there's abundance of literature. You know, if you're struggling with a loved one that's that's dealing with this disease, but you're not going to force someone to get better. They they have to want it. So tell me tell me about this. So your parents got you into an outpatient facility. Yeah, yeah. I had a job that had. I mean, I was <laughs> I was on the ropes with the job, but I still had it, and I had pretty good insurance, and they were able to get me into an outpatient program in Paramus, New Jersey. I think. I think it was called High Focus. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You, you, you were, uh, why did you choose uh, outpatient? I mean, it sounds uh, more like some something where you might have gone into a residential facility. You weren't you weren't in need of that. You felt or what? No, I mean that, that would have worked fine. I was just obstinate, and uh, I was just you know I was sick. I was crazy, and I was like, I can't you know miss you know comedy shows, and I you know I can't be away. I can't go live someplace else i need this to be somewhat convenient for me it probably wasn't the right move but it it ended up working out well it's no, inter- just being a crazy person yeah what's interesting about that is that parents in a situation that your parents found themselves in with someone behaving the way you're behaving where you have to make these deals i mean really didn't have much option i mean if they if they didn't sort of go along with you on on the on your conditions um you might not have gotten to the even to the outpatient facility right yeah probably not so um, tell me about outpatient therapy for somebody drinking heavily and using cocaine. Did you get there under duress? I mean, not under duress, but did you have that sort of I don't belong here attitude? Oh, yeah. Yeah, of course. And uh, I was down about being there. just felt really, really bad about myself and just full of self-pity. You know, how am I, you know, I can't go to St. Patrick's Day this year. How am I supposed to have birthdays? I'm a young kid. I was. I was barely 26 years old. I'm in the room of people that are, you know, in their forties, which was old to me at the time. And, uh, you know, yeah, I, I grew up big, like Al Qaeda looking beard and just felt terrible. But the cool thing was that was like the first thing in a long time I had been good at. All right. I'm going to, I'm going to stop you on that point. Cause I want you to, uh, I want you to elaborate uh, on that. Yeah. Uh, straight ahead, Owen Bonus, our guest, the stand-up comedian and podcaster, 11 years sober now. He's joining us on Recovery Radio. We have more with Owen straight ahead. Don't go away. Welcome back to Recovery Radio. We'll return to our guest uh, straight ahead. But first, I want to remind you, the freight for this program is, is, is being paid for by Retreat Premier Addiction Treatment Centers. Um, they have a... Um, a reputation as being leaders in the field of uh, treating substance abuse. Um, but that's not why they're sponsoring the show, believe it or not. They're, they're not here, nor am I, to tell you retreat's the only place you can get sober. 
Um, they want you to know as much as you can about this disease, and they want to particularly let you know that there's help out there. Uh, they, they provide it. If they can do it for you, they will. If they can just add to your questions about anything you've heard on the program or anything about this disease and treatment, they're ready to do that. So I give you the phone number every week, and I tell you the same thing. This is how you reach Retreat Premier Addiction Treatment Centers, and I hope you never have to use this phone number. And so do the people at Retreat. But uh, at a bad moment, um, it could it could be uh, really important to know who to turn to. So Retreat Premier Addiction Treatment Centers, you can reach them at 855-859-8808. 855-859-8808. With us today has been uh, Owen uh, Bonus. Um, Owen came to my attention through uh, my son, their their uh, pals. They've known each other for a while, and uh, my son was telling me that um, you know Owen is open about his sobriety. He's eleven years sober now. He works it into his uh, his stand up routine, and I said he he's going to make a great guest. Let's let's get him on the show, and he has been. Uh, Owen, uh, thanks. Let's get back to your uh, your treatment now. You're 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 in uh, a, a, a classic kind of outpatient uh, facility, and does that lead you to does that lead you to AA? How, tell me about that. Yeah, they had uh, mostly it was like sitting in a circle and you know talking about the struggles and your triggers and just you know I'm sure you've had guests cover this, but when you're first the first couple of days of getting sober, it's, it's, it's hard. You're just, you're on edge and shaky and it's nice to have a place to go and talk to people. And they had requirements that you would have to do when you left the place. And one of them was like, go to an AA meeting, get a sponsor, that kind of stuff. It was very 12 step oriented. Um, and while talk about a little bit about that initial, uh, uncomfortable period. This is something we hear all the time and we can't hear it often enough. You're sitting there thinking, I don't belong here, right? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, you know, there's a million different ways you can talk yourself out and compare yourself out. And again, another AA cliche that I'm sure someone's probably told you before is they say, identify, don't compare. So you look at the pieces of whoever's story or whoever's struggling with, and you see the parts that identify with your life as opposed to the differences that are going to be between two people. Do do you remember when it started to change for you, when you started to go, you know what, I... uh actually probably do belong here and as a matter of fact i have a lot in common with these people do you you remember when that began to happen did that happen slowly Um, the first thing that happened was i developed some self-confidence i started to feel good that i was accomplishing something that i was able to stay sober that was the first big thing for me and then i started to meet people that were yeah like nice people people that were willing to have plenty of crazy people too but you kind of weed through them and you find the right people that are just like you just sitting there trying to get better and trying to improve their lives. And, you know, it took a little time before you, you know, relax, I'd say 90 days, you know, just hanging onto the table, but then it, it does, it gets better. Yeah. You know, um, a lot, uh, you said something that's, uh, interesting when you, you mentioned the cliches that surround themselves with some, a lot, lot, a lot of things regarding substance abuse and treatment. But the thing about cliches is that they're true. They're all true. That's why they're cliches. And, right, yeah. and one of them is 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 this notion that you just said about you started to feel good about about being sober. I mean, and and that and you sort of, I guess you build upon that. I got a week. Let's see if I can go eight days. Does it work like that? Is that how it works? Yeah, it did for me anyway. 
you know, like that was, like I said in, in the, in the earlier segment, like it was the first thing I had been good at in a very long time. And it was giving me a lot of confidence and self-esteem to be able to walk into the, the outpatient group and say, yep, I'm still cruising. You know, I'm, I, I'm not slipping up. I, yeah, it's great. Yeah. I mean, a lot of what we see uh, around AA and a lot of other, uh, uh, support groups like that where, where they where they note anniversaries and even AA gives out, as you know, the medallions that mark mm-hmm. big dates. And all of that stuff works to reinforce this notion that, hey, you know, I, 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 I can do this. So how did you find – so how from an outpatient position did you find your first AA meeting? Because not all AA meetings are the same, right? Oh, uh, no. They're, they're, each one is different than the next. I was living in New Jersey, and I decided to go to Hoboken because I thought I would find girls. Like, I thought I would find <laughs> other, like, young people, and that is not what I found at all. Like, I found, like, dock workers and ex-cons and serious, scary-looking people in basements uh, that ended up being very cool, and uh, that, that was the only, I just kind of threw a dart and ended up in the first one, and I, I met my sponsor, and he was a great dude, and that was that. Talk about meeting a sponsor. We've had many people talk about their sponsor. I don't know that I've gotten into uh, any depth about that. Did, this, did someone come up to you? Did you gravitate towards someone? How, how does somebody get a sponsor? Yeah, it's different how, how it happens. Uh, I, I always tell people the guy that comes running up to you the moment you walk in and says, I'll be your sponsor, you don't want that guy to be your sponsor. I think it's, you should hang out for a little bit and just listen. And listen for someone that sounds sensible and sounds like you might have a good rapport with and that that's the person that you should approach to be your sponsor the people in the the situation so did you stay in that room was that that, that a room you yeah. pe- people do you, you did stay in that room mm-hmm. oh. yep that this is hoboken aa and i was there for probably five years five or six years and when, what do you tell when, – when this comes up for people and they ask you about AA, because people uh, who know anything at all about uh, AA are, are generally not neutral about it. They're, they're either it's, it saves lives or I don't know about that. After your experience with it, where, where are you with regard to um, AA? I know it saved you, but where are you in general? I'm out, but I'm not anti. There's plenty of places you can go online to find people that have an ax to grind with AA and some of it's legitimate. You know, there's, there's some 13 stepping stuff that, that AA should really do a better job with addressing, but it did save me. And it is a great, it's the podcast that I do with my partner. His name's John Moses. He's been sober 12 years. It's called mildest dreams. And that's entirely what it's devoted to is exploring the different ways you can get sober. AA is not the only way it's a good way and it's a great foundation, but it's not it. There's there's a lot of different options out there for people to get healthy. You were in the uh, rooms for how many years, did you say? Eight of the 11. Sober the whole time, no relapsing during that period? Yeah, of time? no relapses, nothing. Wow. Uh, when did you, because uh, it must have been a little scary to go, you know what, I don't know that I need to come come back to this meeting. Uh, tell us about that. I. It was a very deliberate way that I left. I was, uh, it's like, uh, I compare it to like deprogramming from Scientology or something like that. I found a therapist that specialized in substance abuse and I started to see a therapist and ease back on the meetings until eventually I wasn't going to the meetings anymore. And I was like, Hey, you know, I've got this safety net here in the therapist, but I'm just living my life. And I got to the point where I didn't need to do that anymore either. And 
So, it, so, I didn't just leave. I, I didn't just throw up my hands and leave. I, I was careful I, about what I was doing. That's under, that's that's an interest. I don't believe I've talked to anybody who's had that exact experience, wherein AA gets you uh, strong enough and steady enough, and you've been sober for a long enough period of time, that you made a conscious decision to go, okay, I think I would rather not live the rest of my life uh, defined by this. Yeah. Is that is that how it worked? Yeah, that's yeah. You hit the nail on the head. Yeah. So let me ask you something, and maybe this isn't even a fair question. Uh, not going to the meetings, maintaining sobriety, because because you've had as many years, more years sober without the AA meetings as you had with them. Do you consider yourself an alcoholic or someone you know with a disease, or do you feel that you have you know grown past that now? Uh, yeah, I disagree with the disease model, and, and I know that uh, mental health organizations like the AMA and, and the DSM-4 are kind of conflicted on that as well. I think it changed when the DSM-5 came out, but uh, well, I, you and, know what? Yeah. I don't think too deeply about it. I My life is just so much better without the booze. Mm-hmm. It's not even something that I think about. Right. You, you, so you, you, don't, you, you abstain from everything. You're, you're abstinent. Yeah. Okay. Yep. All right. Well, you know that we can go round and round on on all, on all of that. Um, mm-hmm. Tell me about the podcast now. So, how did you meet John, and how did the podcast uh, develop? We're stand up comedians. We met. We both were were based out of New England in the early two thousands. We drank together. We were crazy together, and we've been friends. We've been buddies for fifteen, sixteen years, and we were both in the same spot with AA. We're like, ah, these meetings are just they're not cutting it anymore, and. So we started talking to anybody we could talk to. Some people were in the room. Some people weren't. We talked to other comedians. We talked to fighters. We talked to actors. We talked to writers. Uh, Anybody we can talk to, we've just found that there's a million different ways to skin a cat. And the most important thing that we found is everyone had some sort of community and some sort of purpose that they were motivated by. That was the big thing. Yeah, that's sort of the central – well, not not the central. So one of the bedrocks of, of AA, it's a community. Uh, mm-hmm. It's in fact not a treatment; it's a support group. Uh, so there is strength. There is strength in numbers. So you guys sort of you were going to coalesce around that idea, but comedy was a big part of it, right? Yeah, we didn't want to make it, uh, you know, too doom and gloom. We because we're friends and we do enjoy researching this and we do enjoy studying it, and it's been very positive just to spend time considering the different ways to stay well. Yeah, you know, I know. I know. introduced. Yeah. Oh, God, I'm sorry. It introduced me to stoic philosophy and, and mindfulness meditation. And those are two things that are a part of my daily routine now that help me stay sober. Yeah. It's one of the things that the folks here at retreat are always talking about that they're, you know, find what works and then and then use it. Um, yeah. So um, comedy, you know, comedy clubs and hanging out. Those places, the last time I checked, were uh, rife with alcohol and very often drugs. Um, is it a, obviously not a problem for you? How do you manage to uh, stay sober in that con- in that context? It was a problem because comedy clubs are no different than any other. It's it's not that much different than a strip club. It's a cash business, and there's alcohol all over the place. So it's not yeah, it's not a, a healthy place to be if you're trying to stay sober and then the you know that environment there there's criminals there there's drug dealers there there's drug addicts that work there you'll find whoever you're looking for if that's what you're looking to do yeah you can find 
those people in in supermarkets as well. I have too many. Yeah. I have too many friends that own some comedy clubs. So I got to be careful there. Um, when we come <laughs> when we come back, um, we're gonna we're gonna ask uh, Owen a little bit more about his uh, stand up and uh, his podcast and his continued now eleven years of sobriety. This is Recovery Radio. Don't go away. Welcome back to Recovery Radio. Steve Martirano with you. I hope you uh, found out about the program. And um, maybe you even know somebody who ought to be listening to it. So let them know we're here on Saturdays talking about the disease of addiction, the road to recovery, and the whole thing sponsored by Retreat, Premier Addiction Treatment Centers. We've had a great time talking to uh, Owen uh, Monis, a young young fellow who uh, has – struggled or had struggled with uh, drugs and alcohol for many many years and now is uh, 11 years sober um husband father martial artist and stand-up comedian so um oh and let's talk a little bit about the stand-up because i i want to know whether it's therapeutic for you um and whether you incorporate elements of your of your uh your drug and alcohol stories into your act it's uh, therapeutic, yeah, maybe in the beginning. Maybe it was scratching an itch that, it, that, that I had, some psychological itch, but not, not anymore. Now, to me, it's more like uh, a sport. Like, it's hard, and I like the focus that it takes, and I like being in the moment, and the, the performance is a rush, and that, that's what, what motivates me now about performing. And as far as substance abuse, yeah, I guess, like a little bit, but I'm – it's still part of the part of the act, but less so because I'm just I'm so far removed from it. It's changed so much, and I've forgotten so much of the weird things that I did, you know, when I was active. So, so, so you don't you don't do I'm you don't do the, the I, I'm I'm sober now. You don't do a 15 minutes or 20 minutes of I'm sober now. Uh no, I do. I not not that much time. I don't devote that much time to it, but I do a little bit on it. And if I'm performing at you know a, a a recovery benefit or a conference or something like that, that I'll get deeper into it. I'll have some more inside jokes that people in the rooms would get. Do you, um, do you do a lot of those benefit things for, um, for people in recovery? Yeah. A couple of years. Uh, I just did the, the Gavin foundation up in Boston, um, with my, my buddy, uh, I should, I would be remiss not to mention my friend, Ryan Cott. He runs lap Boston. I'm going to be there this February. He's a sober guy. You know, we were talking about having to, hang around the comedy clubs and the bars while well, he runs the place and he's a partner in it and his struggle is definitely real you know in um in that in that world we we focus on you know the the incidence of drug and alcohol abuse and the prevalence of it but i'll bet you you, you and the couple of guys you've mentioned aren't the only stand-up comedians that are sober how many of how many guys do you know that are, that are, that are doing well? <laughs> a lot right yeah, a lot. Like, it seems to be there's no, you know, it's an eccentric personality. So, you know, it's either you're picking the guy up off the floor at the end of the night or he quit drinking 10 years ago. Right. Well, there, you know what? I know you haven't thought about it, nor should you, because you, the more you think about your comedy, the less funny it'll be. But uh, from the outside, it looks to be, uh, to be there, there seems to be a connection between the rigor and the discipline and the adrenaline rush you get performing live and, um, and staying sober, I think it. I think in, in one sense that kind of performance can uh, can keep can keep you pretty steady. I mean, if you can go out and make people laugh, you can pretty much do anything. And if you can do it without you know having a drink at the end of it or before, then that's that's all to the good. That must have occurred to you, right? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think so. That, that I would I would go with that. 
The other thing that goes on among people who are in recovery is uh, a phenomenon that I don't know whether you've, you've heard the expression euphoric recall, but it's when people who have uh, had struggles with alcohol or drugs say, oh, you think you were messed up? Oh, let me tell you about the time. And then they tell often just, you know, crazy stories about stuff that went on. And yeah. uh, some of that can be funny, but in a the therapeutic sense, you must finish the story because they never end well, right? Yeah, no, they never end well. They never end well. And, um, you know, uh, to be honest, I've, you know, those stories come to me from other people like, hey, remember that time you broke into my parents' house? And it's like, what? No. <laughs> like, I don't remember that. <laughs> right. if, if I did, why in God's name would I say, I'll tell you that I did? <laughs> so uh, let, real quickly, we only got a couple minutes left here. On, uh, this is off the off the uh, topic a little bit here. But, but what's it like out there in the clubs? I mean, uh, you hear a lot from very big, uh, famous comedians that it's tougher and tougher to go out. Uh, young people are hypersensitive and you got to be careful what you say is all that true uh yeah um but you know can't let it affect you you got to be able to speak your mind and uh i have you know again you're right this is kind of off the topic i do have like very strong opinions about what's you know a sacred cow and what isn't and i don't think the comedy club is a place to decipher that you know you can just if you don't like what the comic's saying you can always just leave get up go to the bathroom come back to the next one exactly uh owen uh thanks so much for your time and your story uh, continued success with sobriety i mean 11 years is a, an amazing accomplishment the uh the podcast again is called what's it mildest dreams mildest dreams that's right and then for comedy you can see me at laugh boston and uh this coming february I, I know it's a ways off but like i said my sober buddy runs that place my buddy ryan so i wanted to shout them out all right terrific how, how do people find the podcast where where are you on are you on itunes and all that oh yeah we're on itunes we're on uh podbean and if you just google mildest dreams not wildest mildest dreams right. it's a play off the aa a life beyond your mildest dreams mm-hmm. um you, you'll find us just a quick google search Owen Bonus, thanks so much for joining us uh, on Recovery Radio. We appreciate it. Oh, beautiful. Thanks for having me. Take care. Bye-bye. Hey, everybody. Enjoy the rest of your weekend, and uh, we'll, we'll be here on Saturday, Recovery Radio. Bye-bye. This program is a paid commercial announcement and in no way represents the views of WPHT or its management.